Hey everyone, this is Sam Culpepper bringing you the Culpepper Chronicles, where myself and special guests hope to bring you, the listener, more information in regards to self-sufficiency, fieldcraft, survival, marksmanship, gear, and theory with the aids of not only personal experience and opinion, but historical and technical documentation as well. All in the hopes to better prepare you for impending collapse and hard times to come. Now, pull up a seat and let's get down to it. Hey everybody, this is Sam coming to you with uh, Season 3, Episode 7 of the Culpepper Chronicles. I am joined tonight with none other than Aaron and Jake from Integrated Skills Group. Uh, I had them on early on, I think it was back in Season 1, uh, one of the first uh, big you know, like non, non-private or, or friend uh, add-ons to the podcast. And that, if anyone's listened to it, has, uh, has definitely struggled us through that one, so hopefully this one's better. Uh, we're coming to you tonight talking about training and kind of the paradigm of training and, and what you need as a prepared civilian uh, or suggestions in that regard. So, guys, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves, and then we'll get into it. Uh, go ahead, Aaron. All right. Uh, well, my name is Aaron. I write for ISG, and I've been uh, one of the founding members, and we started this back in uh, about 2016. It's been in some form or another since 2009. And basically what it was, it was kind of a culmination of um, a bunch of different friends with a bunch of different martial backgrounds. So we had guys who were in the military or law enforcement or in uh, private security. And so we started talking on, you know, hey, what are the common themes? What are the areas of overlap? And how can we kind of cross train and get a better translation for, you know, how violence unfolds? And from there, it kind of became more of an all-encompassing group. And we started branching out because obviously, you start really studying violence, it becomes necessary to look at things like medicine. It, look, it becomes necessary to look at, you know, things like self-sustainment in emergencies and stuff like that. And so the, um, the core concept of ISG started just kind of pulling together all these different things and disciplines. And um, it became kind of the form that you've seen now. And um, so my role in that has been as one of the, the lead writers and uh, my experience, if, if somebody hadn't heard the previous podcast, is I was in the military for almost nine years. I worked in, as a battlefield airman, predominantly in weather, which was um, a lot more interesting than it sounds. Um, and Jake and I, we've we talked a bit about this before and um, a bit about why the military uh, training that, that people receive oftentimes doesn't really one-for-one one translate to the training on the citizens' world. So we'll leave that for later, but um, I also spent some time in law enforcement, and now I do um, contract security, private security, and EP on the side, and so that's kind of where my base comes from, but in addition to that, I've always been a lifelong learner, and um, I collect skills like somebody might collect baseball cards, so I'm always interested in learning something new. Very cool. Jake? Yeah, uh, I'm Jake. I've been with ISG since oh, right before the pandemic started, I think. A little serendipitous timing there. Um, so about three years or so, I uh, jumped on as kind of the, uh, I like to call myself the token support guy. Um, I did 12 years in the National Guard as a medic, uh, and then went um, Iraq, Germany, Kuwait, all over the place with that. Um, most of my experience was really with natural disasters with that. And uh, at the end of it, uh, I was an E6 playing an E7 spot, kind of running a medical platoon. Um, and that's, that's most of my military experience with that. 
Uh, but outside of that, uh, what I mostly focus on is sustainment items, um, food prep, storage, field hygiene, waste management, those kind of things. And then uh, the whole interest really just kind of stems from I had the kind of kind of rural childhood with a dirt floor basement. And we were chopping our wood to heat our house. So what a lot of people call bushcraft, I just kind of called being eight years old. Uh, so those interests kind of spiral up through the military. And then, um, I think one day I just reached out and said, Hey, I'll write a medical article for you guys. And now we're, now we're a lot deeper than that with ISG, but, um, yeah, yeah. Kind of with Aaron, uh, talking about our experiences and then, uh, what's applicable from the military and then what's kind of not, and that dominates a lot of our conversations and, uh, kind of was the, the catalyst to want to talk about, training in general and how we conduct it, how we kind of look at it, our experiences with it and seeing if it's not helpful for your guys. Right on. And I know you, you kind of mentioned a little bit, it's a little bit foreshadowing We're we're possibly going to try and get together again in the future uh, pretty soon for another podcast, as far as like the logistics for disaster management and stuff like that. The, the, the more realistic aspect of what a civilian in like worst case scenario is going to experience and for my listeners, you know, you've heard me talk about it before. Uh, there, there's a militant time, and that's like kind of like far in down the road. And then there's the time of things that you need to prepare for now, which the, the more likely thing that you're going to fall into is like, you know, earthquakes, uh, hurricanes, depending on your area, wildfires, things like that that you need to prepare for. But that's going to be, you know, a podcast that we'll talk about a little bit later on. Um, so for not, you know, we're talking about training and, uh, I think one of the things that we should probably talk about first is what areas do you think civilians and citizens, however you want to, uh, you know, quotate and group yourself, uh, need to focus on the most. There's, there's a ton of lip service out there to, oh, well, you need to know TCCC or, oh, you need to get like AIWB handgun skills and stuff like that. But no one really goes into the the minutia of, of what you should get into and like the areas you should focus in on. And when they do, it's like it always revolves around hardware. It's always like, well, you need to get good with the pistol. But like then they don't talk about anything or like you need to throw a tourniquet on somebody, but nothing else as far as medical management. So I'll, I'll let y'all kind of kind of throw that out there and we'll, we'll go down each rabbit hole that comes up. Uh, well, let me let me take this one to start, and um, we'll begin by saying that you know within our our approach, the um, the skill set is really formed around two different things, and that's the rules of three and understanding emergencies. And so, the rules of three is is loosely defined as the human body uh, can survive about three minutes without oxygen oxygenated blood. Uh, about three hours without shelter, about three days without water, and about three weeks without food. Now, that's I say loose because um, if anybody's tried to hold their breath for three minutes or you know go three days without water, within the first third of those respective periods, you start hurting pretty bad. And so the entire idea that ISG is kind of predicated upon is if we can head those things off, if we can stay ahead of those, then it gives us latitude. It buys us time and options experiences with disaster management is it's really shown that the first of all the the federal paradigm like the emergency framework that you see with FEMA uh, and the ICS and um, some of the different government organizations it's very concerned with the top down right like they go they go out and they liaise with state local municipal federal assistance and they try to pull together these these efforts and 
that, well, that's great. It often leaves the person who's most directly impacted by the emergency completely on their own. And the other thing is they're very preoccupied with kind of this idea of how do you prepare for a tornado or a hurricane? Well, that really doesn't matter so much as does the, um, the way that it impacts you, right? Like how does that play into the rules of three? And so the entire idea of ISG and the skill building that we've kind of come up with is that first of all, you have three different types of emergencies, right? Your first type is the most directly impactful to the individual. And that's a high intensity, short duration, because by its very nature, whether it's um, an assault, a criminal assault, uh, a house fire, or your car is submerged in the water, you have a very, very short timeline and a narrow window to escape that situation. It doesn't usually last more than about a day. And it's high intensity because it's directly targeting you. The second type is like the more moderate intensity, moderate duration. That'd be things like a blizzard or power outage where the situation is generally more tense and within it you have like the embedded potential for more violence or more altercations or, or more less uh, emergency management. So if you get in a car wreck, it may be more serious. Um, but the situation itself is not directly targeting you. It's just sort of a general system uh, in which scarcity is starting to creep in. And then the type three is the long-term low intensity emergency in which scarcity is really sort of, its tentacles are spreading and um, the situation is more of just like a millstone. It's just a grind. And that's basically what we've been in of the COVID debacle, you know, as soon as we started sheltering in place and having these quarantines, it's like, that's the slow grind. That's where you start seeing, you know, the economic engines are slowing down. The production engines are slowing down. Um, and it's generally the situation is playing out on a timeline that we just don't know when it's going to end. It's indefinite, but it's also very low intensity. It's not like any of us are directly being threatened by it. It's just sort of this grind. And so in any case, that's um, the 20,000 foot view of, you know, how we approach the skill building and disaster management, but we'll get in way more into the minutia. Um, I just want to check and make sure Jake doesn't have anything to add before we kind of move on. No, I mean, I, I think that segue is really nicely into, I mean, it's been kind of a soapbox for a while of ours, but uh, that's really context. And before you can really decide uh, what you want to do for specific training, you need to decide what it is that you need to train for. Absolutely. And uh, so what Aaron described is kind of a, a rubric, right, for for you to apply other things. And we've got others. If uh, Spears of Violence on our website is, is required reading by us uh, if you get into our thing. So take a look at that. And it really starts with forecasting what you think might actually be an issue for you. And if if we could beat a straw man here, I mean, I, I think we've all, all like met the guy that does one R ones on the range and buys kit and his, his sustainment plan is like a life straw. He's got a box of MREs, right? So it's a, uh, it's easy to beat up on that guy. Um, but he, he's a useful straw man in a way that you could use the point counterpoint with it. So um, to Aaron's point, yeah, like you do want to be prepared for type one stuff. And those are the kind of things you keep with you and you have specific training for, but it's the type two and type three items that uh, you find ruin people a lot slower. Um, I mean, I'll use myself as an example. I, I live, I live on the, on the range shadow on the Eastern range in the Rockies here. And if I think about what the largest threats to my life are outside of economic fallout from the market around here, it's going to be food shortage and water shortage because we, we don't have natural water unless you magically happen to be in a spot where it trickles down from the mountain after a few 
or after a few hours of rain. And then, you know, all across Kansas and the Easter Plain to Colorado, uh, cattle are dying from the drought and heat strokes like crazy. So um, you look at, hey, what is it that I need to be prepared for? And that will really ease you into what you need to train for in general. And I, you know, after moving out here, I spent a lot less time worried about shooting my rifle and a lot more time uh, learning how to store food for a long time and learning how to store water for a long time and looking around at what will actually affect me and beyond the what will affect me right now, but what's going to affect me over the course of two weeks or even longer kind of deal. So, um, yeah, yeah. Context. I just used myself as an example, sorry to get off on that diatribe, but that's, that's kind of the underscore that, uh, that we really look at first with training. No. And I mean, I think that it's important for anyone listening to this to, I mean, like you can pause it right now and do it, or you can make a note if you got a, a notepad or a mental notepad going on. Uh, like really you need to evaluate based off of your situation. So like Aaron and I uh, are both situated in different parts of the Ozarks, but the Ozarks, uh, different, different States, huge, huge area for anyone who doesn't understand that. Um, but our area is also, I would say based on the location, a high probability of if there is a massive earthquake, that's something that we could face. Like if you think of like a, a grand scale disaster or, or, a, or a natural disaster, that's probably what we would face versus something like a hurricane. Yeah. So I may not have to worry about hurricane precautions, but I should probably worry about if I'm at work and, you know, the earthquake along the, the San Andreas fault line and everything happens. Um, and like bridges are no longer a viable thing. And I have to get home because there's no way, there's only like so many routes from where I work that don't cross over a bridge anymore. So it's stuff like that that you need to, if you think about like your top ones to top twos and top threes, not every top one is necessarily going to be the violent encounter. Um, and not every top two is going to stay a top two. It could be a top two that merges into a top three. Yes. So it's just, it's, it's interesting. And, and it's one of those things that I was very much focused on the, the government overreach and the, uh, the red dawn aspect of it. If, if I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and throw that out there. That's what I was kind of focused on before. And I would get on ISG and be like, okay, you know, this kind of makes sense. And then I'd, I'd pull myself back into kind of like my own little uh, bubble, I guess. And, and then I just really got to think about like, well, you know, the chances of that happening are pretty small. It could happen. I should probably have some preparations for that. But realistically where we live, maybe I should focus more on water collection and food preservation. So that's something that like in anyone who's been watching a lot of my, my stuff that I've been posting lately, it's been stuff like setting traps and building garden plots and stuff like that, because that's a more realistic aspect of preparation that I need. But it's, it took me sitting there doing self-reflection to, to figure out what skills I needed to work on and what training I needed to work on, because I need to focus on urban as well, because I work in an urban area. So if I am there when something happens and I have to leave that urban area, it could be on foot or it could be in a vehicle, but I need to have some urban skills. I can't neglect those entirely. So it, it, it's a lot of self-reflection and introspection as to what you actually need versus what everyone is out there trying to tell you to do. Yes. And so I'll make um, kind of a plug here. And uh, I feel no shame because obviously like everything at ISG started with the idea that 
Like we don't want anything for it. This is stuff that we're passionate about and we're more or less doing it for free. And, but people should take the skills audit. They should go to the ISG skills audit oh, and absolutely. take it. It's such a good diagnostic tool. And I, like hands down of, out of all the efforts I've made for ISG, that was the hardest. Like consulting with people, asking, you know, like finding pilots and radio technicians and, you know, people who are electrical engineers or construction foremen. It's like pulling them all together and like, hey, help me make these questions relevant to a regular person and make them scalar and understandable <clears throat> it was such a such a involved task that um i really think that it's benefit and it's it a really good job of helping a person define that and um so one of the other things and you you kind of uh, alluded to this in the beginning and i'm glad that we're circling back around but we've identified five basic pillars uh with isg and that is protection and protection far and away gets the most um the most airtime with um with kind of our community, right? Like the tactical guys, the shooting, uh, kitten up and training. Those are the things that are interesting. They're cooler looking. Um, they, they, frankly, they fill a void that, um, in, in our society, masculinity has been eroded to such a degree that we're just, we need, that, right? Like we need tribe. We want to feel like we're part of a warrior culture. Uh, and there's just not many good outlets for that, but protection being one of them, it's not the only one. We also have medical, we have mobility, uh, and then we have urban and primitive skills. And so each of these fulfills a very unique role that's more or less all encompassing. And the idea is that we don't, we need to, to make sure that things, these things are kind of equal height, right? Like if you were building a stool and it had five legs, you wouldn't want one that's two feet long and one that's eight inches long. It wouldn't stand well and you wouldn't be able to fit on it comfortably. And so the same thing goes with this. And that's the concept that we, we refer to as skill bridging. And so the idea of skill bridging is that I might be a pretty good driver, but I don't know that everybody else is on the road as a safe driver. So if I'm driving down the road and I get plowed in a head on accident, I have to have some medical skills, right? Like I have to be able to uh, quickly triage and understand who's the most vulnerable person in the situation. Who's the person who needs a tourniquet versus the person who needs to go to the ER to have uh, MRIs done. And so skill bridging is a very important part of that. And the same thing, you could use analogies all day long because the, the crossover is all over the place. And the more that you start really thinking about this stuff, the more evident that becomes. Uh, and the other thing is, we're talking about context, and I think that one of the most important and, and useful things that people could do is make a Punnett square. A Punnett square is basically just you know a plus sign in a box, and then in you have basically uh, high high risk, low risk, high probability, low probability, and so you start identifying the um, the risks, right? So like in our area, like you were saying, um, we don't have hurricanes really, so a hurricane is not a big risk. Tornado is a big risk. Um, Drought's a big risk. Things like that. And so those are the things that I would put in my like, hey, these are very reasonable and they probably could happen. They're high risk, fairly high probability. Uh, things like a house fire, that's really high risk, but it's kind of low probability. It doesn't happen all that often, right? And so the way, the way that we fill in that Punnett Square really sh helps shape our efforts. And if we do that, if we take the time to look, and there's a lot of great data out there. I mean, frankly, living in a, in a society so obsessed with liability is good in that we have tons of data. It's, it's crappy in pretty much every other way, but um, it gives us so much to work with. We can, we can pull crime statistics and say, you know, in your area, 
um, muggings happen this frequently and it's once every, you know, 16 minutes, somebody gets mugged in the St. Louis area or something like that. Right. And so you can say, Hey, I need to have personal space and protection high on my list. I've got to know this because it's, it's frequent. Or maybe it's something like uh, child abduction. Well, if you don't have kids, it's not such a huge risk. So you can kind of shelf that one. And so that's, that's kind of how we really start defining our context and thereby shaping the path to training. You know, I, uh, I'll take a quick caveat here that uh, I'll say um, I would extend an olive branch to the, uh, to the super duper red dawn guys uh, because that's a way into a lot of this stuff. And that's the way we catch a lot of folks, you know? I mean, that's what I was saying. Like, that's how I came at it, too. It's like I didn't know anything about ISG. And I brought this up, you know, on the on the first podcast. And I think I've told this to Aaron, like, probably five times now. It's like I was on Instagram and scrolling through, like, all the, the various pages that were like mine. It was the, the stuff that you like or however the algorithm for Instagram works. And all of a sudden, out pops this dude from a Land Rover with a camera backpack and an AK. And I'm like, you know, what's this? <laughs> Is that Danny Archer? Yeah. Well I, well, I was, I was like, oh, okay, it's somebody playing Uncharted, but in like real life. <laughs> That's cool. And I, I was like, okay, so, so I kind of looked at it, and um, I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. And I messaged, uh, y'all may know who I'm talking about. It, he goes by Bearjaw, mm-hmm. um, but on Instagram, he is a, a contact that I made back when, like, I was first getting into uh, what is now the Woodline, but it was back, it was the Longhouse uh, forum or Discord. And I messaged him, like, hey, have you ever heard of ISG? He's like, oh, dude, like, they're legit. You need to <laughs> actually look at them. Because I was like, hey, you know, who, who's this dude running around? You know, I was, I was kind of, you know, <laughs> shadow poking at Aaron before I knew him. And he's like, no, you need to look at it. It's legit. So I was like, okay. So I, I kind of looked at all the posts. I'm like, okay, like, this is all making sense. And then I found out about the Discord, or I found out about the website and the blog. And I, I started reading it. I was like, okay, like, these dudes, are, it's not just, like, words on paper it's stuff that they've done and it's stuff that they put to practice and they they have the evidence to back it up and it's not just like a bunch of you know what if what if what if yeah. and then i found you know i found the discord I, I highly suggest anyone who is listening to this like go go check out the, the blog the web page um read the articles there's a ton of information out there and I, I don't even ask questions on Discord hardly anymore without going and making sure that there's not an article on it because chances <laughs> are there's an article on it. Uh, there's a bunch of them. Every time I'd ask, Jake would, like, tab an article. Like, he just, he just like, hot-paid <laughs> articles to my, my question. I was like, well, all right, I'm just going to quit asking crap. Oh, dude, I haven't even read all of them. There's so many on there. Oh, there's man. so many. But, yeah, yeah well, we're approaching what I'll, what I'll segue with and kind of what my point here was is um, I don't mind those guys, you know, because um, once they join up and they kind of get the ISG thing, they stick with it, and we end up, bringing a lot of good folks but kind of what i see in that is yeah but most of what you're getting out there is the marketing and i, I got oh my god i've got probably twenty thousand words on tactical social media half of them published already so i got long thoughts but uh the crux of it is this you, you got a bunch of folks that have a value in uh independence being self-reliant and the idea that they would want to act towards an ethical end and that's a great thing And especially in a positive, healthy, masculine sense, where do you get a lot of that um, pointed in a healthy direction or a useful direction in our society these days? And obviously, I'm preaching to the choir on this one. You guys agree with me. Probably not a lot of places. And so uh, you do get your, you know, celebrity ex-Navy SEAL kind of guy that's got really flashy YouTube channels. And that kind of becomes the campfire that everyone rallies around. And 
it's hard to find those uh those smaller connections those kind of like good neighbors those big brother kind of figures that have a little bit of experience under their belt and is willing to pass it along in like a left seat right seat or shoulder to shoulder kind of environment and so yeah i don't uh, i don't bemoan those guys because they're they're using what they're being given and oftentimes what they're being given is put out there to serve a marketing end right and so i'm glad when they find us um aaron and i joke all the time about like maybe our main service is being cult deprogrammers in a way. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. like we take all the people from the Manson farm and teach them how to be like nurses or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and a way to look at it and the way it was for me. And I have, I have turned people on to ISG and it, I usually always get like, I'll, I'll, I'll tell somebody about it. And like two weeks later, I get a message like, dude, yeah, thank you for, for turning me on to it or something. Um, but the, the guys that are, they're they're wanting to be independent they're wanting to be less you know dependent on on the government and supply lines and everything else all that framework is there it's like you have the foundation for the house and then as it's building they're trying to figure out what direction to build the house like like the foundation's there and then they kind of get into uh to isg and then all of a sudden a lot of the blueprints are laid out ahead of them so they 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 can build off of that and that's what happened with me it's like i told aaron you know in closed comms i was like you know, legit, like there a couple months ago, I was kind of lost. Uh, I was trying to figure out because I had gotten super big into the uh, the militant side of stuff. And then like the more I thought about, it, like, is this the most practical way of doing it? And I was just kind of lost and I started getting more into ISG. And I was like, you know, this really is where I want to put more of my focus. And it, it's, it's where I want to put more of my effort into because I, I feel it has the most unequivocal value for me as a civilian citizen uh because like i have a family and i have a homestead that i have to take care of and i have a job and it's like the the realistic aspect is i do not have the time like i I used to um to go out in the woods and spend you know a weekend hunting and hiking and working on field craft but i can spend you know a few hours a day working on lock picking or i can spend a few hours a day doing gardening or or other skills uh within the pillars to keep my skills up that are actually pertinent to my life yeah yeah and so so one of the things that we see all the time is uh there's there's sort of an illusion created around like um i guess martial culture and i don't want to imply that it's bad because it's really not like jake was saying it it segues a lot of good people into like okay but what if and uh, like i have to think further down the road and to consider, you know, water and sanitation and feeding myself. And so it's sort of an open gate, but a lot of the times you get these dudes who kind of get trapped up front with the cool, cool stuff, right. Or the marketing and so, so on. But one of the things that we've tried to do is make it to where like, as you age, ISG will continue to make sense, right? Like no matter what phase of your life you're in, it should make sense to you because it gives you kind of a charter for the depth and breadth of the problem, and so if you're in the beginning phases and it's like you're just, you know, picking up the first um, pistol or you, you just started rolling in a BJJ gym or something like that and you're, you're curious about these other things, the framework is there, um, but it will allow you to kind of grow into other things too. Because like if you're in a position that you and I are, it's like I have kids, I have a homestead and it's like the – the ISG framework allows you to continue on building skills and not really like feel guilty for, for not spending all your time on the mats or in, at the range. It's like you hit a passable level of competence and we keep pretty high standards, 
But you hit that level, you maintain it, and you start learning other stuff because you're a human, right? You can. And so there's no reason to lock yourself into a paradigm that doesn't really suit you. And so one of the things, and this is, a, this is probably a best to pass off to Jake, one of the things that we've really noticed is this hyper-optimization where you get these dudes and they're like <laughs> prior SF and they did 19 deployments and this and that, and they're running these guns that are $3,000 EVs. And it's like, yeah, but that ain't everybody, right? Like what if you're visiting your aunt in Maine and that's when uh, a nuke falls or something like that, right? Like, what are you going to have? Grandpa's duck gun? Like, can you run that? Because situation dictates a lot of this for us. Because if we're in the, the citizen's world, we need to pay attention to the fact that we don't have the, um, you know, the legal or moral ambiguity that soft does. We don't have the training budget. We don't have the tailwind of training um, pipelines. We don't have, you know, other jacked killers, um, at our backs, <laughs> we're dealing with our families, right? And so our tactics yeah. and our approaches need to be all encompassing. They need to start there. And the great thing about it is like when you really get down to it, if you can do it on our level, if you can run these stuff, these, you know, the drills, if you can develop these skills as an individual who has a family, it's really easy to start scaling them up to, Hey, I'm working with Jake and Jake, uh, you know, has this background and we can really, we can hit our common ground here and we can pick up and fill in the blanks really easily. And so it's kind of like the, we discussed this as the modularity of good training. This is an article that's forthcoming, but the idea is that when you have guys who are well-trained, they can kind of snap together like Legos, right? But if you have dudes who are, are super used to being um, elite, they're kind of on their own and there's this disparity or sort of a gradient that makes them, honestly a lot more vulnerable once they step back into the civilian world and i've uh you know i've i've talked to dudes who are in our network that are prior cag or prior uh, tier one dudes and they're saying the same exact thing like yeah man as soon as i stepped back into the citizens world it just changed and it became apparent like i don't have any of the benefits that i used to and i have to start thinking differently and so the idea behind isg is like we can start thinking differently. If we start there and we build out, like, yes, we want our dudes. We want our young guys to go into soft. We want them to be as bad as possible, right? Like, go develop yourself. But it doesn't stop there. Go be doctors. Go be engineers. Go be lawyers. Go be whatever it is that calls you. And that is still a skill. And it still pulls into the, the broader community. Yeah. And I think that segues into, you know, like, the topic, the topic is training. And then we, I think we've done a really good job, like the last 30 minutes or so, rehashing the hour and a half podcast. But at the same time, before we get into that, you know, I, I'm wanting to say it was Jake that, that coined this. It may not have been. And if it's not, I'll, I'll give props to whoever it was. But like, it's the matter of being a generalist as opposed to a specialist. Um, getting relatively good and, and, you know, like three fourths of the skill level in all the things, as opposed to being an absolute rock star at one thing, because, you know, it doesn't matter if you are the world's greatest gardener, if you also can't put a bandaid on a cut and sterilize a wound or, you know, protect your family with a, with a duck gun. Yeah. And then, you know, I think you're pulling that from when I did my first little crybaby skills regression podcast where I was lamenting coming out of the military, having all these like really, you know, like uh, trauma skills and medical and coming in and I'm just a dude now. And um, I was such a specialist in a role while I was in uniform that, you know, I come into this group and it's like, man, like, was it really better to be a specialist? Was it really better to be a generalist? 
And um, kind of what I landed on with that is that it's kind of a false dichotomy. Like you can just, you can have a five out of five in something and then feed and water your C plus across other things, depending on the context you're in, in the group of people you're with. And probably most importantly, and something Aaron talks about all the time is like, how well are you able to learn? Right. Exactly. And learn from others. Yeah. So, but, yeah. um, that's definitely, oh, sorry, and that, that's definitely kind of, and I, now that you said that it absolutely was that podcast that you did. Um, cause I remember listening to it in the truck on the way to work one morning. Um, but you know, and it's like Aaron and I were talking and cause I was telling him like, you know, I was really digging into the bushcraft stuff. He's like, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a generalist in a lot of things. And then once you get competent in a lot of things, then specialize in something, but you need to have that base generalization in, in all the pillars, um, as much as possible anyways. Yeah. So, um, with that being said, since we've kind of identified the pillars, we've identified the general focus that y'all have with uh, ISG, um, you know, following the uh, the rule of three. Uh, what are training aspects that you would say, like, if there are five, pick five uh, things that, that civilians and citizens need to focus on? It, not necessarily like, hey, these are the things you have to, but if you are able to self-evaluate the area you're in, these are five things that may be useful for you kind of across the board. Jake, do you want to lead or you want me to take that? I'll take a stab at this. If I was going to pick like the, the basic measurement across all the pillars, um, square one for protection is probably our value of pistols. Your primary, um, having a concealed carry and being competent with your concealed carry. And that's a grand overview, in medical, it's more my wheelhouse. If you've got a CPR and stop the bleed under your belt, I'm super happy about that. Those are both great things to have. I'm a huge fan of stop the bleed. Um, on the mobility end, um, basic vehicle maintenance and safe defensive driving just every day on the road is probably the start. Uh, bushcraft, if you can cover your rule of threes, right? If you can get shelter, build fire, get water, get food, you're there. And then uh, Urban's much more Aaron's wheelhouse. I'll let him take a stab at that. And feel free to edit anything I said. Oh, man. Urban, hands down, is people skills. Like, everything you see is going to be lock picking or, you know, like digital security or hacking. And that stuff's cool, and it's great. And honestly, there's some awesome personalities out there who are doing, um, you know, like demonstrations and classes. And it's great. But, man, hands down, what you're going to use the most is the ability to communicate and relate with people. Um as far as what, uh, as far as Jake's list, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting a solid 80%. The only thing that I might say I would differ is with the handgun. Uh, I totally agree that the pistol is your primary, but I think that we should start with fitness. Like I, everybody owes it to themselves to at least be like um, basically fit so that they're not a liability in a fight. Like um, I think that kind of when we, we look at these things, we have to shape a pyramid. And if we say the base level is, um, you have nothing you, you have to fight. Can you do, can you fight all out for three minutes? And it's, it, it might sound easy, but it's not, it's very difficult. And if you're not working on, you know, cardio and strength training, then you definitely should do that. Um, and it's hard. Like I understand it's setting the side, aside the time to get all these things done can really be daunting. It always looks like there's just too much to ever do in a lifetime. But the fact is, is like we have, we have a lot of time on this earth and we waste a ton of it, man. Like the mm. probably another great urban skill, and this is almost tongue in cheek, is like 
phone down, head up, <laughs> like stop looking at your phone, yeah, pay attention right. to the world around you. And that doesn't mean you have to be like the dude who's like hyper vigilant and looking around all the, all the time. Like you're paranoid or, you know, yeah. only sits in the back corner at a restaurant. Like you, and there, there's a way to be realistic about that. Like going down yeah. the road, if you're the passenger and you're on the interstate humming along and, there, and you haven't seen a car for the last three hours, there's nothing wrong with sitting there looking at your phone as the yeah. passenger. If you're the driver, that's not the case. Right. But, but if you're the passenger, there's nothing wrong with that versus getting gas at, you know, 10 o'clock at night in a in a crowded urban area. Like, don't yes. be at the pump with your phone three inches from your face. And like, you don't even realize the pump's kicked off because you prepaid 40 bucks. You've been standing there for five minutes. Right. You know, like, <laughs> right. like that's there, there has to be an understanding of, of realistic application to stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. If I could use your if I could use your time point to segue into some of the notes that I have, um, I got a lot of stuff written down to talk about like the meta level of what you need to set your training up around forecasting and curriculum and so forth. So if you'd like to get that, we could jump right in. Absolutely, brother. So yeah, time is finite. I mean, most people work, I work, and so that's kind of why you want to titrate, triage, and and contextualize everything that you want to train for so you know what you actually have time to train. Once you figure that out, um, I analogize training like going to the gym, right? Like usually when you go to the gym, you've got an idea of what you want to work on. Hey, I need to lose weight. Hey, I want to up my cardio. Hey, I want to get swole, whatever it is. But um, you are probably aware of the pitfall just going to the gym and just kind of doing whatever three days a week, right? Like, yeah, you're working out. But where are you improving and how are you measuring your improvements, right? Versus uh, if you decided to go to the gym, you had a very specific plan. You knew what your three rep max was. You're going to retest that every two weeks to see if you need to up it. And you've got these objective measurements. And then you could actually see the results in the mirror of everything you're doing. If you've got very focused and objective-based practice, uh, under your belt as a skill itself. I won't belabor that point too much. I've got the article, uh, a primer on practice on the website. And um, it's, it's funny, I'll use that to segue to a lot of my experience with this comes from, I mean, I've taught TCCC, but I've also administrated the courses for TCCC. But even then, like instructed in other means, like I've, I've taught other people how to train dogs. Uh, and I was a guitar teacher for years. And so many of those skills uh, permeate beyond all barriers and disciplines that you can kind of get down to a few meta things in itself. And so square one, I would say is once you know what it is that you want to train, uh, you will want to develop a set of tiered goals for yourself. So figure out where you are now, figure out where it is that you want to be, um, kind of figure out what the steps and plateaus to that are going to be. So you have goals to hit in the interim and then you need to start delineating between what is a measuring stick exercise versus what is a actual skill building exercise, uh, if that makes sense. Um, you know, what? I'll just go. I'll just go into this. Uh, that that we were recently <laughs> on the ISG Discord arguing about the Dick and Drill. I think all of us were involved in that one. Um, and the kind of thing that I thought about, uh, people were talking about whether or not it's useful to do, I was like, you know, if we look at it on a higher level, this thing is a measuring stick, right? You do it just to see if you could do it, but all the skills that go into completing that drill are things that you drill individually doing different items at different distances under different time constraints, right? And so that's a good allegory to talk about, well, you know, I want to get better at putting on a tourniquet. 
does that mean you have a tourniquet in your pocket and someone puts on a timer and yells at you as you run across the yard and slap it on? Well, probably not right away, right? There's all those steps that start in between. Um, Aaron, anything to, to add on to that before I go on? No, I, I'm actually listening and enjoying your, uh, your diatribe. You're going. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Great. Um, so uh, once you figure out what it is that you want to train, you'll have to backwards plan. Uh, forecast is probably a better word for this. Forecast what it is that you're going to need in order to facilitate that training. So it's easy to talk about shooting. Um, I use that as an initial example. So like, yeah, I do want to get better at shooting, I don't know, a handgun, right? I want to get better with my Glock. Well, you're going to need the Glock. You're going to need mags. You're going to need the holster. You're going to need ammo. You're going to need the equipment. But also... You got to think about uh, facilities. Um, if you're doing any sort of medical training, uh, certifications and licenses required, what sort of schedule that you're on, uh, authorization, you know, right? Like we can all go take a Stop the Bleed course. You can't just walk in any place in the citizen world and figure out how to get a chest tube in somebody. You know, you got to have some kind of license beyond that and so on and so forth. So once you set your goal as to where you want to be eventually, you'll want a backwards plan from there, the materials that it will take in order to accomplish those. Right. And I mean, that's a big thing for us. Aaron and I have talked about schools all the time, but uh, there's a lot of places that have amazing facilities and amazing SMEs and we can go there and get the reps. Right. But it's, Hey, you know, we want to do this justice. What can we do to do these things justice? Right. That's where the majesty of some of these schoolhouses are. Right. Like, I think you're pretty close to, uh, to what, dark, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's about 45 minutes south of me. And I've been there uh, as an Op 4 before. I haven't taken any of their actual courses. But uh, I have been there for Op 4 before. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing facility, of course. And then for what it is that you wanted to train, like, where else are you going to get it better, right? Um, so I think before this started, or maybe at the beginning, you were asking about, like, what items can you learn by yourself versus items that you will need other people for, right? Yeah, um, it kind of falls uh, to the, uh, you know, used to, and, and I'm speaking from uh, like probably the 2012, 2013 era of YouTube training where you had like range time with Corey and Erica and all those out there. <laughs> Yeah. had them like everybody was posting drills and all that and then all of the instructors and i say that because like i know some of them personally i've taken several you know actual instructor like courses it was okay you can't watch youtube and figure this out you need to come to us and we need to uh you need to run through you know handgun one or whatever whatever class structure name they want to go with mm -hmm. um so like there was that time frame and everyone's like oh yeah you're right we can't this this is just them putting this on for a show we can't learn anything from it and I was part of that. And I remember like for several years, it was like, I would actually plot out my training list for the year. Like this is who I was going to go with the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter of the year. Yeah. And then I got to sitting there. It was probably a month ago. I was talking to somebody about it and that's kind of what, what spurred on this topic idea for the podcast. I was like, did I really gain anything? Um, like obviously I gained something. Uh, I, I've got a, a billion freaking reps for one, yeah. but did I, did I gain what I could have versus getting a good base foundation out of like some local level stuff 
you know, granted, I have some really good local level instructors near me that I could go to that are a lot cheaper than, you know, a, a two day class with a lot of the higher level instructors. Um, but did I did I really do myself a service or did I throw a bunch of money out there to make myself feel like I was actually learning something? Um, no, you know, I, I think what you did is you got your feet on the pedals. And, and I, here's what I mean by that. Um, there's lots of things out in the world that I think people make overly academic, right? So my analogy is there's somebody out there in the world who's never ridden a bike, but they've watched every YouTube video and every Instagram account and every book they could get their hands on about how to ride a bike. And they're deeply interested in it. And they know a lot about the history of it and the theory of it, but their balance is just awful. They can't ride a bike, right? And so the only way to really get good at riding a bike is just get your feet on the pedals. And um, when you talk about what you can learn on your own versus what you need somebody else for, I think that I think there's a there's a the litmus there is probably risk, right? Risk and ability. So I'll take mobility. Um, you can learn anywhere how to be a defensive driver. You could watch like car crash Russian compilations on YouTube. And then suddenly you start paying more attention to road drifters in the road, right? But if you wanted to learn how to really overland, how to how to traverse tough terrain or to do vehicle recoveries, right? Like you could probably do that with the training wheels on. You'd need a friend. You need to borrow some equipment. You need a safe facility. And you'd probably need an SME to be the person to take the training wheels off, right? Like who takes the training wheels off? Does the kid decide or does dad feel like it's safe for the kid to have the training wheels off? Right. And so I think that would probably be a good analogy there. So look at, at what facilities are needed and what the risks are for you trying to do your own trial and error and stuff. And I think that's where you could really drill down. What can I do myself versus what can I not, yeah. you know, well, like food storage, well, everyone could learn to make hard tack. Right. And you should honestly. Um, but not everyone's going to learn the intricacies of like four men clearing a room by watching a video. That's for sure. Right. And I, I like that analogy as far as the difference between there, there's always going to be a difference between watching it and doing it. it it's kind of like the see, do, teach type of aspect of things. Um, and I, I, that's kind of the opinion that I came up with on my own was like, I could have watched a billion YouTube videos, but without having a base level understanding of things, um, I, I would have been doing myself a disservice. And what I always suggest to people and what my suggestion is, um, and, and yours may be completely different, is like get a general idea on YouTube or, or some other source. I'm using YouTube because it's kind of like the one everyone kind of defaults to. Get an idea of, okay, this is something that I think is achievable, you know, like your, your draw stroke systems and stuff like that, as far as clearing cover and, and presenting a pistol, find a good, competent local level instructor or someone who has done a lot of training and is capable of instructing you in the very basic fundamentals. Once you kind of do that and do a little bit of that on your own, then go and seek out a higher level instructor to teach you to be better at the basics. Um, a lot of people, including myself, like the very first class they take is not what they need. Um, I took some local level stuff and the very first paid instructor course I took was like rifle two critical carbine. Like it was, it was at the end of it, at the second day I was running the trigger. I'm like, why am I here? What am I learning? Just trying to figure out what was happening. I was still putting <laughs> <Last that>. rounds, <laughs> you know? Like, like it was a 2,000-round course, and by round 1,200, I'm like, I think I figured out how to present the rifle more efficiently. 
Yeah. You know, so it was just, it was, it was information overload. So, well, one of the things that, that I've, I've noticed is that really in the shallow end of the pool, that's where you're going to kind of amass the most, the, the broadest spectrum of opinion. And the, the reason for that is because that's where the most people land, right? Like when it really gets down to advanced, what is advanced? Um, you know, the way I see it is the complexity of, of the situation. And so scenario-based training, usually force on force, we're talking martialism. So I'm going to continue with that, but, and then a, a duration, right? And so if you have dura- long duration iterations where you're running, <clears throat> you're clearing buildings, you're doing force on force, you're dealing with medical emergencies and so forth, that's advanced. And so, so are some conceptual things like uh, say entangled gunfighting, like that's its own discipline. And you don't want to jump into that in the shallow end of the pool. And categorically, the guys who are like, let me teach you in handgun one how to do retention. They're all doing something like the speed rock or they're doing, you know, maybe the smarter ones are even trying to do some permutation of the um, the pectoral pectoral index, thumb pectoral index. But the, the problem is, is that's not really retention. Like when we think about retention... It starts with keeping your pistol in the holster, right? Like, can you defend your pistol from somebody physically attacking you at conversational ranges? And so that that's a nuance that's really lost on a lot of the guys who are in the shallower end of the pool. And it takes an instructor with some, some life experience to really relate those things. And so what you get is like these guys who are, it's almost like they're collecting baseball cards. It's like instructors, right? Like collecting instructors. <laughs> yes. And they, they want to just go out. The, the point I was trying to make, and that's a great analogy for it. Yeah, and they'll go out and they'll be like, who have you trained with, right? And like, I trained with so-and-so and such-and-such. And then they, they go to other courses and then they confront the instructors like, well, I trained with so-and-so or I watched this video with Two Lamb and he said this, right? And they're, so they're using other people's knowledge to kind of superficially adorn themselves in wisdom and they challenge other people. With, and it's like, dude, look, hold on. You're not even, your pistol isn't even, uh, you know, you get a red dot, it's not even zeroed. You need to go back to the basics. Let's walk you over to the range and start over again because you're doing yourself this huge disservice by by kind of pretending that you've you've advanced further than you have. And a huge portion of that is dudes who watch YouTube. I hate to say it because I do think you can get some <laughs> good stuff, but no, hands down, man. Like your first step should be like find a good instructor who can coach you through that. Like if we were using the ISG skills on it, the the one to three. One is like, I've never touched a handgun in my life. Three is, hey, I shoot and I kind of suck, but at least I know what I'm doing wrong, right? And so that's the the most rapid progression that you're going to get. By the time you get to level four, which is like, I'm pretty advanced, you've doubled the time that you spent in the one to three. And by the time you get to five or you've mastered it, you've probably spent 10 years in this discipline. And so- Yeah, it's a lot of people make that way. It probably yeah, exactly. is up the time spent, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so if you continually just, you know, like collect instructors, it's the way I view it. And I wrote on this at one point, it's like if you were going to college and you take writing 101 and you ace it and you're like, yeah, I did it. I'm going to go back. And I'm going to take writing 101 and I'm going to ace it again. It's like, well, why would you do that? You learn that topic. <laughs> you, know, you need to progress. Yeah. Go, go right. take 201, right? Like take creative writing or technical writing and, and start branching out because right now what you're doing is you're just reaffirming something you already know. And it's sort of like, it's, it becomes a very pointless 
uh, exercise and ego massage. And if we do that, we're falling into a trap where we're not really benefiting ourselves and we're, we're spinning our wheels, we're wasting our money, we're wasting our time. And those things are all really precious resources, especially at this point in history where it's like, I think people should be taking current events very seriously, right? Oh, like, absolutely. definitely yeah. think about that's one of the reasons I was wanting to promote the, uh, the <laughs> yeah. ISP as much is because, like, like we can assume something like you know Red Dawn or whatever is going to happen. It, it, we can we can think that's going to happen, but the very real fact is we are already experiencing food. We are already experiencing riots. We're already experiencing yeah. all other things. Absolutely. So focus on those things. Right. And uh, got, so um, one of the you know the baseball floor. card thing reminded me of something. Let me know when uh, let me know when you finish with your with your point here, because I, I want to segue it back into training in a way I think is really good. Oh, no, it's okay. I was just, I was actually going to launch into kind of a diatribe on, on um, you know, equipment and how it relates to current events and stuff like that. It's really tangential. Go ahead, Jake. Sure. I'll get back to training here. So, um, Sam, you may have read it. I've got, um, oh my God, I think I've got 10,000 words on a, on a doc somewhere that I haven't published because it's too much. But in it, I have this uh, concept that I call quarterback camp where people, instead of contextualizing their training and coming up with real goals, they make the drills the whole point, right? So rather than ever wanting to be a quarterback and play in a football game, you got guys that just love quarterback camp. You know, they want to go run through the tires. They want to toss footballs, you know, into buckets, right? And they want to do a couple of like, they want to toss things at receivers and play flag football kind of stuff, right? So they've got no intention or they don't live a life in a way that would ever put them in a situation to be in pads in a real game, right? And so what does that training really serve them? What does that training really do for them if they're copying all of the quarterback drills, but they're never going to play quarterback in a game, right? And so where that segues back to the training and, and the thing that I would really want to impress upon people is contextualize the point of what it's for and then have qualifiable and quantifiable goals. So um, I remember I sent a knife to somebody. They were just getting into everything. And they made like uh, eight or ten feather sticks, and they sent it to me. I was like, awesome, man. Um, you know, like, so you've made a couple feather sticks. Like, are you storing those? Are they going to be for immediate use? Is it going to be for this or that? And they're like, well, you know, I saw like a post on Instagram that said you should know how to make a feather stick. I was like, all right, sweet, but you know what that thing is for, right? Like, could you have stopped at like the second or third one? Because like, come on, you're carving a fucking stick. It's not that hard, right? And could you have learned about how to actually use that to catch an ember and to put that somewhere else, right? Because the whole point of a feather stick is what? Eventually you want to fire, right? Yeah. And it, it's, the, it's the disconnect from the eventual goal uh, that is the crux of that whole quarterback camp analogy. We're tossing tennis balls and doing i don't know i i haven't been to football practice forever i played db i don't know if fucking quarterbacks do but <laughs> um you're doing all these drills and it's really just like for its own point you know like guys will go and like yeah you could slap on 40 tourniquets um but to what end right and especially the guys that do the little like loop over the leg thing that I could go on for days about where you actually introduce the ability to train yourself into a complacency or a training scar or a contextless skill because you've lost the grander image of what it is you're truly trying to accomplish. Right. Um, 
I'll take it back to the martialism. It's just the easiest to come up with examples with. So, yeah, you want to be able to do the dick and drill. I'm just going to pick on that again. You want to be able to launch at least eight shots at 40 yards under 15 seconds. Well, if you've never shot a gun before, you know, you're going to have to take a look at what that's going to incur on you in terms of cost and time. Well, yes, you are going to have to purchase a handgun. You're going to have to purchase a safe holster. You are going to have to find or find a facility with which to go shoot that firearm. You're also going to have to take a look at how much ammo is it going to take to get there, right? So like if I want to get eight shots at 40 yards, I'm like, damn, maybe I should stop and make sure I got eight shots at five yards and then make sure I got eight shots at 10 yards and find those small plateaus we could stop and practice that once you feel comfortable there you turn the dial up and you get to the next point of mild discomfort in terms of where your skills are right and towards the eventual goal of i want to be able to do this thing and for anybody that's doing any sort of training um, that's highly what i recommend that's how people learn instruments at absolutely muscle memory or muscle memory virtuosic levels um the only way to ever play at 240 beats per minute is to start at 60 beats per minute and then you jump to 80 then you jump to 100 because uh, when you do the whole smooth uh slow smooth smooth is fast thing what you're doing is building those unconscious neural pathways to make sure you will do the same thing that's proper unconsciously every time so you can maintain your brain power on what the task at hand is writ large rather than the smaller skills that it takes to go into those sorts of things, if that makes sense. So yeah, if you were going to, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say like in the, the dick and drill thing, um, if you are someone who is trying to shoot this because you see it on Instagram, but you cannot understand all the fundamentals that go into actually performing it well, like, like it's not, and it, and it's kind of like what you're talking about, the the dick and drill. If that's what we want to talk about, the drill of the day or whatever. Uh, the goal is the the eight hits out of ten, you know, within 15 seconds at 40 yards. But you have to understand that, like, your you should be able to competently draw the handgun safely. You need to be able to present the handgun. You need to be able to actually make those hits at that distance. You need to be able to do your time management, understand your your rhythm as far as your shot process goes, and how fast you can actually go shooting rounds that fast or that far, like all of that goes into it. If you're only going out there and saying, okay, I can do it in 14.3 seconds. Okay. But like, is that because you are actually good or is it because you happen to be fast on the gun, but you can't shoot for crap? Well, and you know, the other, the other thing that I think we really all need to bear witness to and, and have a, a moment where we're honest with each other is, uh, a pro practices something until he can't get it wrong, whereas an amateur is going to practice until he gets it right. And so it's really easy in the age of social media to be like, ah, that's it. That's the one. Post it. Right. And it's like you, you walk away at that point. You're done. You've done your work. You've got a, a drill that satisfies the criteria and you're, you're finished. Whereas what I want to see is dudes who are like, hey, man, I can pick up cold and I can shoot this day or night anytime. And I know that I can perform like, and even if that's not the, the Dickens drill, like even if you're just, you're performing a basic task, right? Like even if it's a fairly rudimentary one or you're not particularly impressive, I don't care. Like if a guy is consistent, it's like 1.8 or 2.0 for his draw, that's fine. And the reason is, is because we, we really, 
we've hyper-focused on the performance metrics that matter. And it, it, it's funny because with ISG, you see this stuff across the spectrum in, in every other discipline, whether it's engines or medicine, there, there exists no gray area, right? Like, because nobody's going to come out and test you and be like, can you do this under pressure? Shoot me, you know? Uh, but <laughs> if you're rebuilding an engine and it blows up when you try to start your vehicle, well, you, you did it wrong, right? And yeah. there's just no arguing about that. There, you there's you did li- it right. Yeah. And with medicine, there's peer reviewed science, right? Like we have the benefit of saying, well, hey, this is not best practice because all of this experience points to this not being great and this being better. But we don't have that. I'm going to segue back to this. I promise I'll get this hyper optimization article out. (laughs) To go back to what it is, what I define that is, is the elevation of the tools of success over the measures of success right Mm -hmm. and so that's i i say that hyper optimization is the guy that thinks uh because a 99 percent correct answer exists the 98 percent correct answer is 100 percent wrong right that's your hyper optimization guy and i think it fits in so you talk about drills in context like does anyone here remember what tom brady's 40 time was at the combine Nope. No, because who cares? He's got seven fucking rings, right? Yeah. And so you talk about that. Like, yeah, the guy like, I own this vehicle. I went to this school. I own all Matco tools. It's like, well, awesome, but your rig runs like shit. So it's like the context, like what do you really have to show for it at the end? Yeah. And was that person's time well spent acquiring all of those phenomenal tools? without first or primarily or concurrently gaining the knowledge of how to employ them in a meaningful context. Yeah. Yes. And I, I was actually having this conversation earlier today with uh, one of the ISGSE guys and uh, he said it best. He just said the tool will never be better than the craftsman. And that's just, it, it drove the point home. And it's like, I don't want to pick on anybody, especially right now, but there's uh, there's one social media personality who, who started hashtagging mobility. He's got a, a really nice looking uh, J80 and this and that. It's like the thing stays in the garage. I never see him drive the thing. And they did one video where they were out uh, actually doing some overland stuff. And they, they completely drowned a, a Jeep. They killed the thing. They left it in the creek and had to come back for it. And it's like, ah, yeah, yeah, guys, like, don't you shouldn't be demonstrating this stuff without at least proof in the concepts again. Um, and I'm not trying to talk bad about them because I mean, I know that I've had, I've had rebuilds go bad on me and everything else. And I try to be, so I think the best medicine right here is that everybody gets humble because if we do that and we're like, Hey, look, man, I screwed up. I blew this axle apart and I had to go back and rebuild it. And it's because I, I pressed these bearings in the wrong direction. That that's something that happened to me recently. Everybody downstream of me is going to be like, oh, well, if you have this vehicle, make sure that you don't make this mistake, right? And that's sort of the, the natural process with human learning. We learn from other people. But if we're all constantly in this, this mode where it's like we have to present as perfect constantly, well, we're never really going to know that other dudes are flawed and they've made mistakes and thereby we're never going to be able to learn from them. So that lack of humility within the training venues has got to go. Um, all these dudes are so preoccupied with being perfect. It's like, it's just like they've become, uh, tactical Kardashians, dude. And I just hate it. I hate to see it. (laughs) Stop Stop it. (laughs) That's awesome. So to talk on that and like, and we'll, we'll move past martialism. Hold on. Hold on. on. If they go Democrat, does that make them Bruce? (laughs) 
<laughs> no clue, dude. I'm so detached from, from it all. I just want so, <laughs> so and, and to so to talk about the dick and drill just because it's a good example. Um, we talked, I guess it was yesterday, the day before, in the Discord because a certain uh, I won't say IG celeb, like the dude's a solid instructor. He's got a good history and and everything. Posted this kind of bash on the dick and drill. It's like, oh, this is yeah. stupid. Like it should be called the dickhead drill yeah. because you know you should be able to do like, like, why are you focusing on this? And, you know, at first it came across as like, to me anyways, he seemed pissed off because he didn't come up with the idea of the dick and drill. But what I, what I will say is a caveat is I think it was also a lock, a, a, a loss of perspective mm-hmm. because I think that for him or an extremely high level shooter, it, it's kind of a mundane drill. And like I haven't shot it yet, and I may shoot it the next time I go shoot. I don't know. I, I'm not really focused on it. But like I have spent a lot of time shooting 25 yards and beyond with a handgun. Like my my first initial cold start drill every month when I was doing monthly training sessions was a 25 yard slow fire B8. But what I saw a lot of because I've been you know they're out there. I mean hell yeah, you can't open your Instagram without seeing someone shooting the dick and drill. Um, someone talking like man, you know, we'll see how this goes. I've never shot my handgun past three yards. Yeah. Well, you know, hey, really. <laughs> this is this is freaking humbling for them. And if they if they get seven hits out of out of ten in like thirty seconds, you know that at least they're shooting their handgun past three yards. Yeah. So it's like you, you kind of have to pick and choose. Like, are you going to say, okay, we all want to be on the same page, and we always all, all want to learn better, or hey, look at me, you should be doing it my way. You know, right. it's, it's a good litmus test to see where people are at with stuff. Cause like I said, some of us could see it's a measuring test. When I saw the, the stipulations for it or the parameters for it, my first thought was, Oh, that's 10 yards less than I try to shoot my 10 by 10. You know, like it's, it's rough. I mean, if you, if you aren't shooting past 40 with your handgun anyway, then there's other level ups you probably need to worry about before you get to do this. Like, latest and greatest drill yeah that was another point it's like well maybe you should work your way back to that as opposed to like cold start 40 yards (laughs) (laughs) when when you're when your handgun red dot zero for three you know like you're going to be in for a world of hurt when that happens but yeah well you know that that goes to say too when you are choosing a regime of instruction or uh drills or you're choosing an instructor um really take a look at experiential knowledge and it's kind of like a big thing. That's when I first discovered what uh, Aaron and Gino and, and the crew were writing. The thing that hit me most was that the information was organic, right? And um, there are, I says, there are things that people will try to teach you, but you're just going to have to learn if that makes sense. Like people will tell you, but until you do it for yourself, it's just not going to click. And um, I think Aaron especially has got a way of, turning that kind of wisdom into something that clicks you know it's like everyone can tell you everything about when you might want to go prone with a rifle but going prone with a rifle you just got to do a few times before you realize you should lead with the butt stock to the ground or you're gonna fucking buck your teeth you know and it's yeah. like mm-hmm. those like hey put the butt stock to the ground first kind of stuff is what really stuck with me about the reading here and it's it's funny we talk about that certain youtube personality uh, the first thought that hit my mind is like the guy was army. Right. And you know, if there's anything that I remember from the army, it's like, if you get a light skin Humvee, like that thing could extricate it itself from like the seventh ring of hell, you know, <laughs> like those things are just, they're really good. 
you put that thing in four low and like you're fucking waving to Gabriel on the way by. What's up, dude? And so if you're used to that, right? You're, if you're used to that, um, you might treat like a Wrangler as if it was a Humvee. And then right. you just get absolutely stuck because you thought you knew, like you dangerously thought you knew and you didn't humble yourself to think that, you know, maybe things are a little bit different outside of the context in which I was an expert for all of my adult life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's a, that's another excellent instance of like the translation between military or policing or even EP or um, clandestine services, whatever the case may be, don't really have a one for one translation back to the citizens world. Right. Like, because you don't, you don't have the standardization that you do, especially with the military, but to a lesser degree with the police force as well, where it's like everybody has this type of vehicle. Um, and everybody's qualified to drive in this sort of way. And so when you, you get out of the, you get out of that environment, it's like, Oh my gosh, this, these things have wildly different tolerances, wildly different capabilities. They operate differently. And I'm not really sure how to do it, but I'm going to wing it. Right. And it's like, okay, you know, there's something good about that. I mean, frankly, I'm fine with people. winging it. that's basically how I was when I was a kid, but at some point you have to realize, okay, hold on. I actually need proper instruction. I need to learn this right. And so winging it is a great diagnostic tool to open the door to um, have less ego. But if you just carry on and carry on and carry on that way, you're, you're kind of fooling yourself. You're outsmarting yourself. And so we have to kind of understand that like even dudes who were prior military, when they're going and they're teaching us skills or they're, t- they're bringing these skills to a class, it's like, well, what did you do? Well, if you were doing raids where you're kicking in doors and you're killing terrorists, and you're doing this constantly, right? Like some of these CAG dudes were just murder ink. Well, what, in what way is that really relevant to my, my experience <laughs> in the world? Right? Like I'm, yeah. I'm preoccupied with the fact that I have a kid that's closer to the main door than me. Right. And so it's like, my, my plan should be, I want to switch our rooms to where like I'm the closest person. Right. Or if I have to take a shot that it's not going to penetrate through a wall and potentially put somebody at risk outside or penetrate a window or whatever else. Right. Like we, I want to win those fights in advance because I'm not going up against um, dudes strapped with RPGs and suicide vests. I'm dealing with petty crime or, or um, thieves or burglars or robbers. If, if the situation is really dire, but those skills don't translate one for one. And so right. a lot of times these guys who it's like, they're super qualified to teach what they, what they did but what they come back and teach isn't what they did. Right. And it's you know, not really you know what relevant say? To, to beat this dead horse that I'm an allegorical thinker. Right. <laughs> like they, they would say that they're like, they're put their feet on the pedals every day. They would say they were an expert in riding a bike, but it's like that one big wheel bike from the 1920s. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? And like, they'll, teach you, they'll teach you how to ride that specific big wheel bike that like only they had the context to ride. And so like you would want to kind of find the guy that you're like, Hey, I want to learn how to ride a bike. And they would say, well, like on the road or like downhill uh, mountain biking yeah, or like, are you on an indoor cyclist? Like what kind of biking are we talking about? Yeah. Right. The guy who's like, I know everything there is to know about biking and like, let's talk about top hats, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, and, and that's the reason why there isn't an ISG CQB course. And it's because I wasn't run, out running CQB now, as uh, far as clearing a structure as law enforcement or uh, moving with principles through buildings. Yeah, I can speak a little bit to those things, but I think they're better qualified people. So I don't really like to, to try to throw my hat into that arena. I would I'd be happy to discuss those things. I'm more than happy to test myself, but my actual like 
my reps aren't in the thousands. And that's where I really think a person should be if they're, if they're trying to present knowledge. Is yeah. Being... And to build on Jake's analogy of the big wheel, you'll, you'll see that a lot. And, you know, I said we were going to go away from martialism, but it's just, it's such a good example. Uh, the, the, the martialism that's out there, but like you have the dude who has rode the big wheel, the 1920s big wheel for, for 20 years or, or, you know, or a decade or whatever. And then they get out and they're like, you know what? I'm going to teach because I don't really have a whole lot else that I want to do or that I can do. And it's like you have these guys that really need to be learning how to ride a mountain bike. And they go to this guy who only knows how to do the 1920s big wheel. And then he tries to chant and and make everyone want to ride the 1920s big wheel, regardless of if they need a mountain bike or not. Yeah. So it's like, I, and I always said this to people, it's like you, you see the guys that work at their local bank. And then on the weekend, they take the civilian high-risk operator course for, you know, whatever. You know, and, and they're learning how to do raids on, on structures and extract HVTs and stuff like that. And if you think that's fun, man, that's cool, whatever. Your, your money, your time, your whatever. But you can't look at that and say, well, maybe tomorrow I'll have to whip out my AK over the bank counter and then go rescue someone from the bank <laughs> vault. Right. You know? I will so, get deep into this. But I, I will just say that I wrote about Go read the useful truth on the website. I've got a whole, whole like laid out case about that whole phenomena. Yeah. And, and to, to spin off of, of Aaron talking about how like I want to win the fight ahead of time. Uh, home defense is this big buzz topic. Like everyone wants to know about like what shotgun, what rifle or, or what setup we need to use for home defense. I'll, I'll at to today, if someone asked me what I needed to do for home defense, I would say, go take the home security audit on ISG yes. and, see how, and see how your security is for your home. Yes. Uh, and then if you're good to go on that, then we will talk about the, uh, the attributes of running double up buck in a drywall home. Absolutely. Mm. Well, dude, go ahead, Aaron. Sorry. Uh, that I was, yeah, <laughs> that article comes from a deeply personal place because, like, I've I've dealt with that stuff uh, from both ends, and uh, I can tell you right now, like, what thieves are going to look for, what they're going to um, exploit, um, how they're going to consider uh, at making entry into a place, and I'll tell you right now, like, zero percent of them are looking for a martial competition. You know, yep. None of them are looking for a high noon showdown. If they do stick a gun in your face, it's going to be advantageous to them, not to you. And yep. chances are they're going to bust in through a window where you're not even there, right? And they're going to make off with your goods. And you'll never even have a chance. You'll just be pissing and moaning and angry about it. And like, oh, if I got my hands on them, it's like, and then you'll call insurance and get on with your life. Exactly. And you could have closed these ends beforehand and you chose to, you know, worry about double out buck through drywall. And, and <laughs> To, to make sure that no one thinks I'm a hypocrite or that I feel like I'm perfect, I am looking at the door that I just replaced in the back of our house. It's a half glass, half metal door, and the security light is dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm looking at this going, well, I need to get a, a motion activated security light again because this thing's dead and I have put a, a half wrist door in the back of my house. Granted, right. where I live, it's not a huge deal because of the area that I live in. The, the chance of a home robbery is there. But statistically speaking, I can't think of the last time like we had someone steal someone's bike out of their front yard a couple weeks ago. But like we haven't had like home invasions. Yeah. So, um, well, okay. friends, I'm going to I'm going to left turn you hard back to training here real quick because Aaron yes. mentioned um, time and specifically, like, you know, he doesn't want to teach CQB because you know thousands of hours into it. 
I get that. I had my whole skills regression podcast. I feel you. Um, I think what the skills audit sets as a precedence for how you can forecast your training and how you should look at it is really powerful. So to go from level one to level two requires a certain amount of time. Let's say, I don't know, a week. To do every subsequent level up requires at least double the time. So if it takes you a week to get to level one, to get to level two should take at least a couple weeks. And then to get to the next level is going to be more and more. It might even be more Fibonacci where you're you're combining the previous ones or it might even be um, exponential as you go up. So as Aaron was saying, like, yeah, you could learn a lot of level one stuff in a weekend course. A lot of level two stuff takes probably a month of really going at it. The level three stuff is you're probably about a year into really taking things seriously. Level four is a few years plus certifications and or courses. You've made this a specialization of yours or a priority to really be an SME in this item. And then five is, I mean, really not something you train to do. Once you get to level five, that's an inexorable lifestyle part of you. You know, that's, that's a career or a decades pursuit of refining a craft. And so when you're looking at training, um, like I said, with uh, having your goals, right? So if you've got your, I wrote this in primary practice, take where you want to be, cut that in half. Now cut that in half, and that should probably be your first level goal. And just know that getting to that step one, whatever amount of time that that took to get to the level two will probably take four times that. And they get to that level beyond that probably takes eight times that. So if you're really trying to forecast out how much time it's going to take you to get to that skill, um, don't look at it linear, right? Like getting to level one will take the same amount of time as level two as it will to level three. Um, Absolutely multiply that over itself as you go. If you need to backwards plan on the timeline. Yeah. And and real quick, before we get on to kind of like the last little section that I wanted to do, uh, before we have some closing comment type stuff, uh, if you have taken, if you've never taken the ISG skills audit, take it. Um, you can find it on their website. If, if it's not one of the first things that pops up, you can use a little search window thing and find it. If you have taken it and it's been a little bit, retake it. See where you're at now. Like, like I took it around this time last year. So I plan on taking it again because I know the areas – that I was lacking on the first time I took it. And I've kind of been focusing on those more. So I'm interested to see if I have progressed any and if my scores and, and, and everything changed. And people need to understand going into it is you are most likely not going to score high. You're, you're just, it's the way it's designed. It's, it's designed to find your, your fault. So you know what you need to fix. So don't be upset if you didn't get a hundred on it, because you're not going to get a participation trophy with ISG skill audit. Right. No, it's, it's definitely meant to be difficult. And truly, like one of the things I would tell people if they were to ask, which nobody does, but um, is <laughs> don't look at it like this is a grade in school, right? Like if you get a 50 or a 60, don't be like, oh, I failed. That's not the case, right? right. Like it's it's not, absolutely not that. What it's saying is that, hey, you have, you have reached a fairly competent level. If you get to 50 or 60, um, you're actually doing pretty good. Right. And if we're thinking about the, the entirety of the emergency skill set for everything from fitness to finance. Right. And so if you're doing 50 to 60 percent, you're actually really killing it. Yeah. Um, 
highest scores I've ever seen were around 80. And uh, only one or two of the maybe three or four did I actually believe that, that person deserved it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's I'm, like <clears throat> if you're scoring in the 80s, you're like a marathon runner who's on a self sustainable ranch with a protection detail. Like, <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, that, that I can't remember what his name is, like Johnny Kim or something, Navy SEAL astronaut surgeon dude. Like, he's, <laughs> he's probably an 80s. He's literally right? done everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's running for Senate, right? And it's like, okay, well, maybe him. But for the regular mortals, yeah, for real, I think yeah. I think when I took it, it was like a fifty-eight or a sixty. Yeah, yeah. What it was. I think Tony Stark would get an eighty-five. Like. <laughs> yeah, that's probably about right. So, um, okay. So, last thing I want to do before we have some closing stuff because I want to talk about some of the things that ISG's doing and, and everything. Um, what I would like is if you can, if you were to think, so like, let's say I am a new perspective model of clay. I'm a ball of clay. Mold me. Um, as far as the five pillars go, if you could suggest one, we'll say instructor, uh, who would it be? And y'all can, y'all can either, you know, take turns or, or answer simultaneously. I don't, I don't know, but like, as far as each of the five pillars go, like, who would you suggest to go get knowledge from? Oh man, that's a good question. That is a great question. I have an answer for this one. Uh, like as soon as you said that, I'm having great instructors pop into my mind, people who live like Paul Howe or Craig Douglas. Um, here's, here's my real answer. Get a mentor. Get somebody who lives in your community, who you look up to, who you can, you can pick their brain and who will take time for you a person because hands down the most influential people in my life were a couple of my mentors. One of them was uh, an air force cop and the other one was a recon Marine. Uh, and then uh, my grandfather was also a great influence in my life. And he was, um, he was in the clandestine services in addition to the army and air force. And those, those three men absolutely did 90% of the work. Right. And this, so they made their, they made the job for dudes like Paul, Howe pretty easy. Yeah find good mentors they exist say something like that huge like i said at the beginning those like weird those big brother kind of relationships like yeah um like what i was thinking about i was like what do i think for primitive like i love randall worst right Mm -hmm. um he's got mounds of knowledge i stole my candle thing from him um sorry i learned it from love him but also it was like it was my grandpa that like took up the fat from behind a, a white tail's eye and he was like, Here, eat this. You can yes. eat it. You know, like the <laughs> yes. things you would never have tried if like some of you trusted wasn't like, hey, check this out. And then you eat it, it's amazing. It's the best part of the deer. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so that's that's my suggestion. I think that that's probably one of those questions that everybody owes it to themselves to think because it might not be a blanket answer, but man, yeah. I really would encourage people like go out in your community, find people, show them you're serious, right? Like if you're really dedicated, that's going to save volumes and it's going to be a lot easier to find somebody. But it's, like, it's funny because I was sitting here thinking to myself, well, I bet he's going to answer that. And you did. So <laughs> that's, that's fully where I expected the answer to be. Cause I'm like, it's either going to be 50, 50. He's either going to like just straight up label him out who he suggests, or he's going to be like, put in the legwork, find a mentor, and then learn. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm glad I'm getting predictable. This means like I'm making, at least making some sense. And uh, yeah. there's consistency, right? All right. And, and I think we all agree on that. I think that finding someone like that, and that's what I was saying. I'm lucky. Um, if, you're in, if you're in Arkansas, um, 
by all means, message me on Instagram, or I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it now. As far as local level stuff, if you're wanting to get into like the martial aspect, and they're kind of branching out a little bit, um, hit up Aaron's Gun Cabinet. Um, it's kind of a funky name. I wish he'd come up with something else, but he's 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 a he's a dealer as well as a trainer. I've trained from him. Like he was some of the base level training that I got. Um, outside of like you know the generic redneck answer, I've got years of shooting and shooting sports. Mm-hmm. Um, he was kind of one of the first ones I took any actual like I'm paying you to teach me training. Um, and I've also trained beside him. He's always he's always taking courses and learning and bringing that to his classes because I've taken some of the finer classes I've taken. He's been right there beside me. So uh, so if you're in Arkansas, uh, he's he's located in Central Arkansas around uh, Little Rock area. By all means, hit him up. But yeah, if you can find someone in your area that has put in the time and work to get you that base fundamental knowledge, and then you can build off of that to, to what you want to, to hyper focus on. And that, that goes beyond the martial side of it. Like if there's a dude who like, like the one thing you want to focus on is bushcraft. And there's this dude that, you know, lives off in the woods in a cabin in the middle of nowhere and isn't weird. It probably isn't going to touch the spot. Um, He's go, weird. <laughs> He's going to be weird. He's got to be weird. The next time he's he's in town for his propane fill up, and be like, "Hey, (laughs) can I come chop wood one day, and you show me how to like sharpen an axe?" You know that type of thing. In in the spirit of your question, I will give you one oddball pick. Um, I will say Matt with Triad Medical Training. If um, you are a dog owner and worried about that, I mean, I got a pair of hunting dogs. You know. Dan's a, a handler. He's in hand school now. So I'm quasi familiar with a lot of guys in the dog world. Matt used to be a handler police side. He was a corpsman beforehand. He does triad medical training. Very trauma-related TC3 stuff. Um, but he's uh, he's the guy that's applied all the materials for my canine IFAC article, actually. And he's got kits put together, and he concerns himself with being good on canine trauma. So if cool. that's yeah. going to be in your wheelhouse at all, that's a guy to look up. Yeah, because I think there's a lot of dudes walking around with a uh, a dog like John Wick, and they probably know how to take care of their dog because it's going to get shot instead of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and all, all the dudes with Malinois because they thought they were cool, and they're actually oh, just absolutely little hell. I had a discussion with a coworker about that. Like, I got a Malinois, he's just like tearing up my house. Like, <laughs> like, like yeah, what, yeah, what, Malinois are crackheads. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> absolutely, like, I, I live in I live in a two story apartment. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. No, <laughs> sure, yeah. that's going to happen because he needs a job, homie. Yep, exactly. Yeah. All right, so before we close, um. As far as uh, ISG goes, um, I, there's some, some stuff. I don't know if you want to talk about it, Aaron, some stuff coming out as far as some works that y'all been doing. Uh, maybe like, you know, buzzword of published maybe would be a good word. Oh, man. If you want to talk that up a little bit. Deus fault, dude. Um, so I am – I'm just about finished. We had some we had some snafus with the actual publishing because the um, layout and the images. So a lot of the images didn't translate very well to um, to print or ebook. They look great in the um, in the actual um, manuscript, but when it went to publishing, they 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 weren't good enough. And so we obviously we don't want to put out anything where people are like, well, this is kind of crappy. And so. We have to go back and redo some of the layout and design things, but we're just about finished. Basics of it is the things that we've talked about today and then elaborated on and given a lot more um, 
like a lot more of the personal tour through how I know the things that I know and the experiences that I've had. And then of course the limitations of the things that I know, because I think it's very important to be honest about that and say, Hey, look, this is what happened in my situation, but the scope, the left and right of arc on this is, is different. And so please go explore that. And so the idea of the book is to be a very useful reference for um, the architecture of emergency management and disaster planning. And I'm hoping to have it out. Um, oh, I would say that probably Thanksgiving time reasonably, um, awesome. but I'm also hoping it's sooner. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's good to be conservative. So, but yeah, anyone listening, um, keep an eye out for that book. I'm assuming it's going to be on like Amazon and, and other locations. There's going to be, you know, like a, a small town, like, you know, WordPress or whatever. No, it will be on Amazon. It'll be um, through KDP or KPD and um, uh, Ingram Spark, and the title is Carry the Fire. And so, and that's obviously, that's a throwback. I don't know um, if your listeners are kind of familiar with the deep lore of ISG, but the idea behind Carry the Fire was that the um, the Indian tribes uh, in North America would carry fire in a horn, and they would have a fire bearer who would ride ahead of the tribe to the dark and cold, and he would go and he'd find a safe spot. And when he knew that it was safe for his tribe, he'd light a signal fire that would guide them through the night to to a location. It's that same kind of spirit that's guided our efforts at ISG. And so that's the title of the book. And, the, and so hopefully um, people will find it to be a good inspiration for carrying the fire for their tribe. Yeah, and bonus points if you thought of Cormac McCarthy's The Road. So. Oh, of course. I was about to yeah. say, yeah, that's the Cormac <laughs> McCarthy line, and that is an exorable from the ISG lore. It's deep lore at this point. Like, yeah. I could I could recite a lot of that book. Cormac McCarthy <laughs> technically stole that from Aaron of ISG. Just so yeah. <laughs> Cormac, you owe me royalties, my friend. I was about to say, like, considering yeah, yeah. we're all in the book club reading that, I think we all read that line in the last two weeks. So Yes. Uh, <laughs> guys, go check out the Discord. Um, it's not just like uh, – it's a community. It really is. It, it, I, I'm there a lot and I'm a, I'm one of the, somehow I don't understand how, uh, higher ups, I guess, of like the hit the wood line. Uh, I post on the website. I'm not super involved in the, in the discord, but, um, as good as that one is, make sure you're also in the, uh, the integrated skills group one, because it's, it's another community. Um, it's not quite as if you've been in the Woodline discord any recently, uh, it, it's pretty hot. There's always someone talking. Uh, it's not as much of that with the Discord, but you've got like a variety of things like the book club and everything else that we don't have with the Woodline. So it's just another add-on to have uh, in your repertoire of social media. Um, and then Jake was telling me that there's a chance that the store may be open again for ISG hopefully soon uh, and maybe some swag like hats and shirts or something. <laughs> It's in the works. I'm waiting on some sample prints to come in so I could vet them. Very but cool. um, it's uh, it's on the horizon. There's a ton uh, of timeline guys TBD. You know, including myself. There's tons of guys that like we're we're invested in it. We want to, you know, what's ISG mean? Like I can already tell I'm, I'm going to get questions on on posts and stuff if I have anything for it. So I look forward to it just to give back to to ISG because it's like like y'all said like you don't pay, we don't pay anything to get the knowledge from y'all. Like, you can go on the website, and it's free. It's not like you have to have a subscription to get it. Yes, there's a Patreon. Uh, they're not going to tell you any of this because they're too humble. There's a Patreon. <laughs> um, you can go and sign up for that uh, to help keep, you know, the, the wheels greased for ISG. But um, you can go – all of this knowledge, all this all this information is, is free. You don't have to pay anything to get – it's not pay me $20 a month to get my Navy SEAL uh, bath lotion. 
uh, <laughs> in order to to get the uh, the little tidbits of knowledge. No, it, I mean you can go on the website, you go on the Discord, you can go to all that, and it's all free. Um, so there's lots of dudes, including myself, that want to give back to that through like buying the books and buying the hats and, and anything we can do really to kick back to it. Um, awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah. And on top of that, something that's, uh, if you listen to this in a year, it probably won't be a thing, but if you're listening to this right now, real time, cause this will probably get published tomorrow or the next day, if I have time, um, Aaron is currently doing a, uh, a fundraising for a local scout troop. Uh, Aaron, do you want to kind of talk about that? I, I don't uh, know anyone who's been on yeah. my, my social yeah. Okay. So we got we got real real. Ah, Jesus. Let me start over. We got relocated to uh, Central Missouri, and since we've been out here, we've been trying to be more involved with uh, like local community involvement and such. And so the the Boy Scouts has been one of the pet projects for me because I'm, if you really think about it, it's kind of a natural segue for ISG. And once Boy Scouts hit a certain point, there's really no place for them to go. It's like you just leave into society, and maybe you get involved with Scouts, and maybe not. But um, Great group of kids. They recently had their um, their storage plundered, and so they stole six thousand dollars from the Cub Scouts. The um, the older boys, the actual troop, they lost a little bit less. It was uh, closer to I think seven hundred dollars, but they were absolutely leveled. And this uh, anybody who's familiar with this area, the Ozarks knows it's not like a super high budget area where you know the parents are just able to throw thousands upon thousands of dollars. And it's also very proud, and a lot of times. Uh, you have a kind of a kind of a commingling right now of scout law, like their bylaws prevent them from actually soliciting for any help. Uh, and then if they did, they would be heavily taxed on it. Um, and then there's pride, right? Like nobody wants to just go out and be like, hey, all our stuff's gone. Can you help us out? And so on their behalf, I've been trying to raise some funds and equipment to kind of get the boys back on their feet because they're very active and they're great kids. And so um, if somebody – if listening feels compelled uh we do have a gofundme um it's it's right now it's in our link uh on our bio on isg's instagram and i believe also on facebook um or you can hit us up at um, integrated skills group at gmail.com and i can send you the information but every little bit helps uh and this is all going directly back to the kids um and so we're very very appreciative we've had an outpouring of support and so for everybody who's offered up equipment or donations thank you so much you have no idea how much it means to me to to be able to see these kids uh through their their fall activities uh with the equipment and and funds that you're helping provide yeah and it's like i was telling you a lot of us have a scout background Um, no matter how far you went into it like mine was very limited just because of my area and there are people who you know went eagle and beyond uh a lot of the people that are drawn to the stuff that we talk about and do have a scout history. So I think it resonates with a lot of people. When I put it up on my Instagram, I was like, Hey, you know, this happened, uh, hit me up for information and I'll try and get you connected with them. And this was like pre GoFundMe uh, Cause that, that wasn't really off the jump. And it yeah. was a ton of, Hey man, I was a scout. How can I help? Hey man, yes. I was, you know, my, uh, my whole family scouts. How can I help? Hey, we work with the scouts. How can we help? Yes. So it's just, it, it's kind of like, it shows you kind of the backbone of the community is in that totally and it's uh, it's great to see social media being used for good instead of yeah, evil for that's, what I, that's, what I, that's what i told you I'm like, man, it's so refreshing yeah. for it to be like the, not this dark leviathan like I'm, actually, yeah. I'm using what little power i have for good you know yeah right that type of thing. so yeah um that's out there and and guys just make sure you check them out uh and then I will, you know, I, I'm a part of it. So I'm going to continue to plug it. Make sure you check out hit the woodline.org. Uh, We're putting out articles and stuff. Um, 
mine going forward will be a little bit more, uh, I want to say, like ISG leaning as far as the way that they're they're provided and, and the angle and aspect of them. Uh, but there's a ton of other information on there from from guests as as well as us. We uh, we have others on there. Um, I'm I've got some stuff from Jake that I think. I think you sent it to me and I was going to post it and you're like, Oh wait, hold on. Let me revise it. And that was kind of like the end of it. But <laughs> I mean, if, if y'all have anything that y'all don't necessarily want to put on ISG and you want to put it out there anyways, because it doesn't quite fit the ISG paradigm or something, you can get it to me and I'll put it on there. And that goes for anybody. Um, all the time. Pine uh, is, is open to articles and article suggestions. You send it to him and he'll kind of go through it. And if he thinks it's, you know, something that would benefit the website, he'll put it on there. So it, we kind of went through it with the same aspect as ISG. It's like you don't pay anything for it. We're putting it out there because we wanted the information to be out there. So, excellent. All right, guys. Well, well I think you. it was a great. I think it was a great podcast. So, yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I yeah, really yeah, appreciate man. the opportunity. And I, I, I think everyone can actually understand it this time. So I won't get <laughs> to do that. Sounded like like garbage. Yeah, um, I'm sorry about that, guys. <laughs> but like you said, I've been so I've been so uh, preoccupied with not doing podcasts just because our reception out here is awful, and so yeah. the whole wind tunnel effect has ruined the last one. Hopefully, the people resonate with this one now that they can hear it. Your litmus test now. <laughs> yeah. More podcasts for, for ISG, and uh, that give me something to listen to. So there we go. All right, gentlemen, All it's right, been great. Guys. It's been great. Y'all have a good one. Uh, we'll we'll try and get another one going soon. All right. Sounds great. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah, man. Take it easy.